your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Tuesday. It's kind of Thursday for me. This is my fourth show this week already. Uh, coming up on the uh, Becky Rom, the national chair of the campaign to save the boundary waters. She's going to be on in a couple of minutes. But before we get to her and uh, everything that's happening up there in northern Minnesota, Ambassador Gus Fimple is on with me. Hello. Welcome, Ambassador. <laughs> How's it going, Rick? Hey, uh, <laughs> congratulations on the new title. Okay, so Gus Fimple is the founder of Aries Global Imports, which I'm not a big foodie, Gus, uh, but you got you you got a kind of a cool thing going on, and uh, you you've named yourself the ambassador of of food in the Cooley region, and you're headed to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't name myself an ambassador. Uh, I guess uh, first off, uh, um, I was actually the Italian government reached out to my company and. Uh, asked us to be part of a delegation heading to Italy um, starting next week for their first big uh, food expo um, in Parma, Italy, up in northern northern Italy there. Um, it's, it's a big food expo for the entire country. Uh, so um, uh, my guess is I'm going to be exposed to a, a little bit of good food and some good wine and things like that up there. Yeah, I heard in Italy they had just like 14 meals a day, and they're all eight-course meals. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm I'm fully expecting to catch both gout and diabetes while I'm there. So, <laughs> yeah, um, either way. Gus Fimple leaving Wisconsin here in a couple of days to head to Italy. Will come back twice as large as he is now. Uh, <laughs> but you, that's how you got to do it. This is kind of cool because you're for Aries Global Imports, which you founded here in in the Cooley region. Uh, I guess can you you you're representing the the little guy, so to speak. Even though after your Italy trip, you're not going to be the little guy anymore when you come back. But um, the just that you're you're representing small businesses in the Cooley region uh, to to help do what. Well, um, the, 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 the Italian government reached out because I am a small importer. Um, they, they reach out to, I guess, importers and distributors from all segments of, I mean, from the little guy like me all the way up to the big, the big corporations. Um, but I, I believe the, the delegation is only six or seven, uh, representatives. So I'm, I'm going to get a lot of good face time with, with folks. And I guess the goal is to help build channels. Um, and, and in my case, I, I'm looking for small businesses to work with in Italy to bring over here. I'm already working with small businesses in Greece. Um, I work with a small um, olive oil and a small wine uh, producer, and we're, we're having really great success over here with that. So my goal is to, to help grow my business and, their, and the small businesses over in Italy um, at the same time. Um, while, you know, bringing really good products here to the Cooley region, and, and they're, you know, on from here to the rest of the Midwest. When you get this news, you're, you know, just d- dude in lacrosse that's, that's you know, trying to make it uh, with, with the small business that he started. When you get this news, are you, are you floored a little bit, or is this an expectation now? Well, it was pretty crazy, I'll be honest. Um, you know, the, the, it was always brought up from the beginning. I work with... Um, Whenever I start working in a in a country, I reach out to their 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 foreign trade commission here in the United States because it's kind of their job to bring bring business over here um, from their country. So if you just bring 
bring, you know, let them know, hey, I'm already working with people that from your country. Um, they really think that's a great, great deal. So I reached out to the Italian consulate, you know, a few months ago. I'm um, just, hey, by the way, I'm talking to a few oil producers, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, if something comes up, we'll let you know. Well, the next thing that came up was this thing, and, and it was and the offer came along with being an official delegate and being a, uh, a representative. And I think that's, you know, uh, it, it's a great chance to kind of put our best foot forward as a company and as a, you know, as, as a region, you know, to let people know that, uh, you know, lacrosse is on the map and we're going to be doing some awesome gourmet stuff here real soon. Now, your important stuff uh, that people can find at Woodman's Festival. Uh, what is, you know, the the if I want to go get some some of the best imported, what's the best thing? I'm not a foodie, so I don't know, but like my girlfriend <laughs> definitely is. But what's the best thing that that people can look for at Woodman's or Festival? So right now, um, the the biggest thing I have going is Greek wine, um, which just got back from the uh, the New York International Wine Competition, our first year in the United States, won Greek Winery of the Year for 2021, um, and also um, several of the labels won um, they they placed with gold and silver medals. So um, those are called Simonides Estates. Um, it's uh, <laughs> back in the they're they're in the foreign aisle um, right now. Um, we don't have huge. Uh, you know, huge uh, uh, displays in the middle of the of the aisles or anything. But, you know, people go and ask for it, ask for the new Greek wine. They'll be able to send them that way. All right. Ambassador Fimple, hey, thanks so much. And you're going to be on with uh, Ken Cooper uh, Thursday morning, right? Yeah, that's the plan. I, I think Ken uh, Ken has some ideas. Uh, he, he just lives right down the street from me, so I'll try to tie him up with a little bit of wine beforehand and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's 6 or 7 in the morning. That'll be great. Um, all right, yeah, Gus, thanks sure. a lot, man. All right, thanks, Rick. Later. That's Gus Fimple. He is Ambassador Fimple, sorry. Um, Aries Global Imports. So he started this thing, and he imports uh, stuff from, from you know overseas into the Cooley region. He just, ah, I'm just going to start an importing business. Kind of crazy. Coming up. I'm going to get into a conversation. This is this is a pretty interesting topic. I have never been to the Boundary Waters, but I'm a pretty big nature lover, and I think uh, most people would would agree that uh, we should be, as this campaign is saying, save the Boundary Waters. We're going to talk about why that needs to happen and what uh, the Biden administration is or isn't doing uh, to help protect the Boundary Waters, which are right now on fire and closed but that's not why we're trying to protect the boundary waters. We're trying to protect them from mining. And essentially uh, well, what's happening is, so we have these national land, right? We have this, if you want to call it a national park, I don't know if it's officially that. We'll, we'll talk to Becky Rom here in a bit. Uh, but we're going to sell out its minerals to the, a Chilean billionaire or a, a company in Chile. We're going to sell its minerals, uh, copper and nickel mining or sulfide mining, and uh, we're going to ship those minerals, copper, nickel, to China. <laughs> so Chile gets the minerals, we ship them to China, and then the United States has to buy them back. That's what we're doing. That's what we, so we're, and we're, we're at the sacrifice of the Boundary Waters because these mines are have runoff, have, uh, you know, sp- spills so to speak not like oil spills but you know you know accidents happen all the time with these things and the chilean group that that runs these mines runs mines all over the world and they don't have a great record with running mines they don't have a great environmental record either so when we talk about putting something just upstream from the boundary waters in the watershed of the boundary waters all that runoff is going to go into the 1.1 million acres 
what's the benefit? What's the benefit for for Minnesota for the United States? Um, why 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 do why are we even allowing this? Why would we even think about? You know, this sounds like a good idea. Let's have Chile come in. This billionaire from Chile, we'll have him come in, uh, strip all the mi- strip all the minerals out of the ground, uh, let all that crap go into the boundary waters, the million acres of the boundary waters, and and the uh, you know adjoining environment in Canada. There, it's all 1.1 million acres, uh, you know, the pristine area, and then uh, we'll let that all those minerals get shipped to China. It's fine. It's fine. All right, we'll we'll have Becky probably explain that a little bit better. But that's my take. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line. We're going to make it the text line for now because Becky Rahm is on with me. She's the national chair of the campaign to save the Boundary Waters. Hi, Becky. Thanks for taking some time out to talk with us. Hi, Rick. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. Yeah, I, uh, I before you came on, just before the break, I tried to break down... Uh, here's, here's my, my real, my real short take of what's happening around, uh, just upstream from the boundary waters we have. And I said it's national park, but it's, it's public land. Uh, the Chilean, a Chilean billionaires company is coming to take the minerals, sell them to China. And then the United States would essentially have to buy them back. Is that a pretty, pretty good sum? That's a good summary, Rick. <laughs> I mean, that's all we need to hear as a, as a society. I think like, Hey, that's not cool. We shouldn't be doing that. Uh, but there's, yeah. It, but go ahead. There's, there's just like it's. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of steps to take before we can kind of prevent that, right? Sure. Well, I think first I, uh, we should talk about what's at risk. Um, in northeastern Minnesota, we are fortunate to have a 1.1 million acre national wilderness area, the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness, uh, designated in 1964 with the Wilderness Act. And right across the border with Canada, we have another 1.1 million acre wilderness area called the Quetico Park. Uh, those two uh, wonderful landscapes, I view them as the greatest canoe country wilderness in the world, are at risk because of proposals to develop sulfide or copper mines in the headwaters of these two areas on public lands, primarily federal public lands. So the mine would be in the Superior National Forest, immediately upstream of the Boundary Waters and Quetico, as well as Voyagers National Park. Uh, so we have a, 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 a large, wonderful landscape that is water. Uh, 20% of the water in the entire United States National Forest System, which is 193 million acres, is in the Superior. And for all of your listeners who've been here, uh, they know that uh, the Boundary Waters is a region of lakes, rivers, streams, wetlands. We travel in summer by canoe uh, from lake to lake, and we have amazingly, exceptionally clean water. If you paddle into the middle of a lake, you can drink right out of the lake. Um, so uh, we have something that's pretty valuable. It's also uh, the heart of our regional economy up here. Um, We have, throughout the arrowhead of Minnesota, what's called an amenity-based economy. There's a lot of tourism. We're the most visited wilderness area in the United States. But also, uh, we have a lot of other people who live here because it's a great place to live. And they're not tourists. 
So there are people of all different walks of life. Uh, we're finding more and more people moving up here, especially as a result of the pandemic, uh, bringing their jobs on their backs, uh, telecommuting, uh, and really building a thriving economy that's fundamentally based on this pristine wilderness area. So the type of mining that Anna Fagasta, this Chilean mining company, wants to do uh, uh, is mining in sulfide-bearing ore for trace amounts of metals, copper, nickel, platinum, and palladium. Less than 1% of the ore body is metal. Um, so it's a, it would result in a tremendous amount of waste. Uh, this type of white mining is considered the most toxic industry in the United States. All mining, you know, upsets uh, and significantly changes ecosystems and landscapes. But this type of mining has a long history of water quality degradation. It's a puzzle that the industry has simply never been able to solve. Becky, Becky, I think the most toxic uh, industry in the United States right now is the Facebook comment section. I just wanted to correct you there. <laughs> so just say. Well, thank you. Correct and noted. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, go on. I mean, you're, you're doing a great job kind of explaining it. You go, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, Anifagast is a Chilean mining company um, that acquired another company, uh, that had two very old federal mining leases, mineral leases, that were originally issued in 1966, before uh, we had what's called NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act. Uh, NEPA now requires that before these kinds of things are done, like federal mineral leases immediately upstream of the boundary waters, uh, the, the, uh, you have to take a good, hard look at the potential for negative environmental impact. That what didn't happen in 1966 and never happened with these leases. Um, we formed uh, the, the the interest in this area accelerated in about 2008, thereabouts, 2010, um, and we started getting very concerned about this type of mining next to this precious wilderness area. So uh, a number of us, uh, a lot of us from northern Minnesota, I live in Ely, where I was born and raised, uh, uh, got together and decided we needed to build a national campaign to protect the most visited wilderness area in America. And out of that arose the campaign to save the Boundary Waters. Uh, it is a coalition of more than 400 businesses, conservation groups, and hunting and fishing groups. It's led by Northeastern Minnesotans for Wilderness, which is headquartered in Ely, Minnesota. I like to call uh, the gateway to the wilderness. Um, but we we, start, we launched this effort. We built this national campaign. We lead it. We fund it. Uh, and we're the largest conservation group in Minnesota that has as its mission uh, the protection and preservation of the Quetico Superior ecosystem. Um, so how, how are we going to save it? Well, we took a good hard look at those. Becky, I'm supposed to ask Becky. Leases, Becky, right? I'm I'm supposed to ask the questions here. Oh, Let me ask. How go are we ahead. Gonna, how are we going to save it? Well, we're going to save it under a following federal law, and let me tell you how we're going to do that. Um, the federal government, which is really we the people, 
own 640 million acres of minerals in the United States. We don't develop all of those minerals. There are some places that are too valuable and too vulnerable for mining. In this instance, the headwaters of the Boundary Waters is both. So federal law sets out a process uh, for which uh, for agencies to decide which are the wrong places for a mine. Uh, That's governed by a federal law, the Federal Land uh, Policy and Management Act. We call it LITMA for short. Um, And uh, and following that process, uh, the Department of Interior can uh, issue a decision that blocks mining for a maximum of 20 years in a place. Um, uh, we started advocating for the Obama administration uh, to follow this path, uh, start this process, complete an environmental assessment, and direct that there be a 20-year mineral withdrawal. Uh, uh, We were successful. Uh, The Forest Service, which manages the Superior National Forest and the Boundary Waters, applied for a 20-year mineral withdrawal in December of 2016. Now, what happened then is that President Trump uh, became president in January. Um, We worked hard, meeting regularly with his administration, uh, to keep the process going, and we were successful for 20 months. But unfortunately, after... 20 months of what's generally a 24-month process, President Trump killed that mineral withdrawal process. Likewise, uh, we worked hard with the Obama administration uh, with regard to those two federal mineral leases that Anafagasta acquired. They had expired and were subject to applications for renewal. Uh, we were we presented a lot of high-quality science. People from the upper Midwest and throughout the United States went to Washington every month from 2013 right up until March of 2020 when we had to stop because of the pandemic. But we advocated for the Forest Service to reject those applications for lease renewals, and we were successful. So when we went into the Trump administration, the leases had been canceled the process for a 20-year ban had been launched. Uh, the Trump administration went back and reinterpreted those leases and reinstated them and then killed the mineral ban process. Now with the Biden administration, All right, I gotta, we have... I got to take a I got to I got to hit pause, Becky, on this. Uh, we're speaking with Becky Rahm. She's the national chair of the campaign to save the Boundary Waters. Um, and we're just kind of getting into how how we've gotten to the point where a, a Chilean group uh, can can own the rights uh, to the minerals in the Boundary Waters, and essentially they're going to sell them to China. Some people wanted, uh, I had texted in and asked Becky, uh, what's China going to do with the minerals? Well, it's copper and nickel, so they could do whatever they want with them. Um, but I got to take a quick break. We'll get back with Becky Rahm from the Save the Boundary Waters campaign in just a minute. 
All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line if you want to text in, if you got questions. Greg did have a question, but we have uh, Rebecca, or uh, Rebecca, <laughs> just, I'll just combo your name, Becky. Becky Rahman from the national, she's the national chair of the campaign to save the Boundary Waters. That is a coalition of 400 businesses, sportsmen's groups, conservation groups, uh, led by the Northeastern Minnesota, Minnesotans for Wilderness, which has been around since 1996. Um, and you guys, all kinds of groups working within uh, within that that save the boundary waters campaign to uh, protect this area. Doing doing that for almost a decade, Becky. Um, we were we were talking about uh, you know one administration doing something and then the next administration. But Greg did text in. He wondered when the Chilean the Chilean group the Chilean billionaire. Uh, that owns this group that that is going to come in and has the rights to the minerals just upstream from the boundary waters. They're going to take the the minerals, which you said are trace amounts, so it's just going to be a lot of waste, and send that to uh, essentially sell that to China. And what's China going to do uh, essentially with copper and nickel? That's what China's going to get. What are they going to do with that? So uh, Anna Fagasta. Uh has copper nickel mines in South America. It sends all of its metal concentrates to China to be processed in its smelters. Uh, Anna Fagasta would do the same here. Um, it would take uh, the metal concentrates from a twin metals mine and ship it uh, overseas, most likely to China, which is the low-cost smelter location. Uh, uh, the United States has no nickel smelters. The United States has three copper smelters, but they are vertically integrated with copper mines, so owned by the same entity, and they are at full capacity. So the metals would be shipped, according to Anna Fagasta's own uh, submittals to uh, the federal government, uh, overseas, most likely to China. And then they would be sold on the world market. So when you buy a phone from China or whatever you buy from China, it could be metals that came from the headwaters or the boundary waters. They don't stay here. The metals do not stay here. Uh, uh, there is no national security interest in having these metals uh, handed over to Antifagasta and shipped over to China. And then Antifagasta, they, they don't have, like, the greatest track record for, for copper-nickel mines in other places in the world either, do they? No, Rick, they don't. Uh, they, they have mines in South America. They have a history of environmental degradation, uh, uh, cultural degradation, and labor strife. So they're not a model uh, company by any means. It's also very clear, given how low-grade a twin metals mine would be, that if they were to build a mine in the headwaters or the boundary waters, they would make it highly automated. Um, That's the trend of copper mines throughout the world, according to all big copper mining companies. And what that means is there aren't going to be human beings working in these mines. They're going to be machines that are operated from computer terminals hundreds of miles away. And yeah, the only yeah, the only rationale that's given for this mine up here in my hometown is, gee, we'll have all these great jobs. Uh, but those jobs won't be there. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's I, I hear politicians say that all the time. For, uh, we're going to have all these jobs, but uh, apparently, eventually, maybe not. Um, 
another texter said, uh, essentially, this is all about capitalism and making money. And, and how, so how does the U.S. benefit, or maybe Minnesota, or maybe your area, the, these are your minerals. Does, does Antifagasta, are they paying? Uh, who are they paying for the rights and how much? Are, are we making millions at least that way? No. Uh, they pay a pittance for their, their leases. Um, I think it's like a dollar an acre a year, so it's $5,000 a year. Now, they would have to pay uh, royalties if they ever developed a mine. But I would like to say this about uh, capitalism and jobs and income. Um, the only truly independent study that was also peer-reviewed and published that looked at copper mining in the headwaters of the Boundary Waters over 20 years and considered the entirety of the economy, what, what would come with copper mining, uh, the impact on the amenity-based economy, the impact on the tourist economy, uh, was prepared by Harvard professor, uh, economics professor James Stock. He looked at 72 different possible combinations of jobs and incomes because you can never know exactly what's going to happen. And in almost every case, this region was far better off without a copper mine. And that's because we're doing pretty well as it is. And we're on a growth cycle. Uh, it's something that we're going to be able to keep forever. But if you really care about capitalism and income and jobs up here, there should be no copper mine. Right. And the copper mine could destroy the whole place in anyway, right? Like it could, uh, everything that runs off from the copper mine goes into the boundary waters. And there's the, then there's, uh, how, how difficult would it be to clean the boundary waters? Oh, it's impossible. Uh, and that was one of the reasons the Forest Service rejected Twin Metals leases and started the mineral ban process, because once damaged, you can never fix, mitigate, or, or remediate uh, the damage to the boundary waters. There, there's another aspect of this, which is where is this mine located? As I said, it's on the edge of the wilderness, but it's also surrounded uh, by businesses. There are 30 businesses in, uh, in the path of pollution. Uh, right across from the mine is the Voyager Outward Bound School, which has been there since 1964, has about 130 employees, and they would leave. They couldn't operate if the mine was there. And you you walk down that path of pollution into the boundary waters, and you ha- you find that repeated over and over again. And then you get into the city of Ely to Grand Marais, uh, all around the boundary waters. Once the word is out that the boundary waters is tainted, that you can't drink out of the water, uh, that the fish aren't uh, thriving, uh, it really diminishes the appeal of this whole region as a place to visit and a place to live. And so it would be a downward spiral. Um, so the economics are on our side, um, uh, and, I, and the people are on our side. We poll every year, and what we find is as many as 70% of Minnesotans oppose copper mining next to the Boundary Waters. Right. Over time, it's gone up and down between 65 and 70%. Uh, so it's a politically popular position uh, to ban mining, both through the administrative process that I've described to you. We hope Biden will finish that. But also, there's a bill pending in Congress uh, that would permanently ban mining in the headwaters. And so that administrative process will establish a solid scientific basis uh, 
and we are uh, hoping and planning and working hard to get passage of a bill through Congress by the end of 2022 that would ban mining in this in the, in this place. And when you say Congress, you mean the the like the House of Representatives, because there's a bill in Minnesota itself too, right, to ban uh, mining in the in that area. Yeah. So uh, there's a bill in Congress. Uh, Congresswoman Betty McCollum from St. Paul introduced it on Earth Day this year. She had a bill in the prior Congress. Um, she's been our champion. Uh, we have a, we'll be having a hearing on her bill this fall. And we're very optimistic it'll pass the House uh, and that it'll pass the Senate. Um, it, we have, have, a, have a similar strategy in Minnesota, as you suggested. Uh, some of the land in the watershed of the Boundary Waters is state public land. And so there is a bill in the Minnesota House and the Minnesota Senate that would ban copper mining on state public lands in the watershed of the Boundary Waters. So both the state and the federal government would be working hand-in-hand, as they have for more than 100 years, uh, to protect the Boundary Waters. Was there a point when the lease had expired and and the Antifagasta got renewed or got a hold of the lease? Was there a point there where where the government could have took back the lease or we could have burned the lease? Or I I guess why why did they get the lease back? Because this is, hey, this is our, our, our... you know, either the federal land or state land, um, why are we giving the the rights to Chile? Well, uh, the leases were canceled um, uh, in 2016. Um, They were reinstated, I would say, clearly for political reasons by the Trump administration, who had different priorities. The administration has a, a preference for extraction on public lands, uh, and so they were given back. They were they were brought back to life. Now we sued because it's clearly illegal. Uh, and so we're at a moment in time where the Biden administration lawyers can take a good hard look at those leases and recognize that uh, they were unlawfully renewed, unlawfully given back to Anafagasta, uh, and uh, reinterpret correctly the way those leases, uh, which could lead to a cancellation. Five administrations, Lyndon Johnson, Ronald Reagan, Bush one, Bush two, and President Obama, all looked at the leases and determined that they could be renewed or denied, uh, denied renewal at the discretion of the federal government. It was only under Trump where a new lawyer, a Trump political appointee came in and said, no, 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 Renewal, renewal is mandatory. They have to be renewed, and therefore we were wrong to cancel them. But as I say, we're at a moment in time, given our lawsuits, given uh, the clear uh, record and history of those leases, where that decision can be reversed. All right. So is this one, another one of those things that, you know, everybody is on? It's seemingly a, a vast majority of people are on the side of, yeah, we should protect this this land, this this area, this water, I should say. Um, and then the the government just kind of ignores it because it's you've been doing this, working on this for nine years, and uh, it's it seems to be still up in the air. I don't think the Biden administration's ignoring us. I mean, we're there advocating all the time, Rick. Uh, it just takes time. Now we're getting impatient too uh, because we're six months into the administration. Uh, and we had hoped that they would have acted by now. 
but I don't think it's because they're ignoring us. I think that uh, it remains a high priority for the administration. We're optimistic that it'll get there, uh, uh, and uh, it'll be done sooner rather than later. I had a texter ask uh, how much we're getting in royalties because we need to know how much money the U.S. or the or Minnesota is going to make. We got to know how much money because at some point, you know, enough money is is worth sacrificing the boundary waters. But do you know any idea how many how much royalties the U.S. or Minnesota would make on this? Well, the royalties are zero. There's no mine, uh, so there is a minimal dollar an acre lease price. Mm-hmm. $5,000 a year, that's it. Um, the, the, uh, uh, it's federal public land, uh, so if there were royalties, they'd be going to the federal government, not to the state government. Um, uh, I can't tell you what they'd be because there's no way of knowing, but I would say this is a very low-grade deposit. There is not much metal there. Um, uh, there is a lot more... Uh, there are mines... So one of the, the metals people talk about these days because of the green economy is cobalt. So uh, cobalt from this mine would equal 1.5% of the U.S. annual demand for cobalt. It's nothing. There's a mine in Australia, which is where we get our metals from, Canada, Australia, Norway, our longtime allies. There's one mine in Australia that has enough cobalt to last the U.S. at its current level of demand for 270 years. So those are the mines that are actually going to get developed. Uh, I, uh, this is an uneconomical, low-grade mine uh, that would not generate, uh, I don't think, very much in royalties. And, and frankly, it pales in comparison to the value of the Boundary Waters and all these businesses that are paying taxes. Well, why so you'd have to offset that. Why, you know, what happens when you destroy an economy of a region? Why would Anna Fagasta want to do this then, if it doesn't seem like a moneymaker? Because they're paying a dollar. Like a moneymaker to me. Well, I think you know. Obviously, uh, they've got a back of an envelope figure. Uh, they they they'd have to make it highly automated if it were ever going to work. It's. Uh, something that's, you know, probably 20 years down the road, 15 years down the road. Many of these companies, mining companies, go through, and this has never been, hasn't gone through environmental review for a mine plan, doesn't have any permits. Um, But many companies do that, go through environmental review, get some permits, and then sell the asset, a mine with permits, to someone else who would come in and, and, in mine. So th- their bet is that they'd sell it to somebody and return their capital. Uh, but to me, I mean, I, it's never made economic sense to me. I, I don't think it's good for a mining company. It's certainly bad for our region, certainly bad for our country. All right. We're speaking with Becky Rahm. She's the national chair of the campaign to save the Boundary Waters. Lastly, Becky, a couple minutes left here. What can we do? What can people do to help this campaign or just to sway the the federal government or the Minnesota government to say, yeah, we should protect the boundary waters. Yeah. It's very important uh, that everybody uh, be part of this effort to protect the boundary waters. This started as a grassroots, uh, grassroots movement, local people uh, deciding we had to build this big national campaign to get this done. Every voice matters. So go to save the boundary org. Sign our petition. 
get on our email list. We are expecting public comment periods to come up in within the next year, and we will alert you, and you can write comment letters and be part of our effort to save the wilderness. If you want to go further and be really active and engaged, um, you can join our ambassador program. And to do that, you email Roberto at SaveTheBoundaryWaters.org, Roberto at SaveTheBoundaryWaters.org. Uh, we need con- uh, members of the U.S. House of Representatives, wherever you live, to be co-sponsors of Betty McCollum's bill, H.R. 2794. We need your senator, U.S. senator in your state, uh, to be uh, supportive of uh, Betty McCollum's Boundary Waters Permanent Protection Bill, uh, and, uh, and, to, and to join our efforts um, to get this done. Um, I can't remember offhand uh, the numbers for our state bill, but Roberto can help you with that. If you live in Minnesota, we certainly want your help on that. Uh, but throughout the country, it's, a, it's really a movement of the people. And there are a lot of people around the country who have been to the Boundary Waters, love it. Those who haven't been, who care about our precious public lands, please join with us. All right, savetheboundarywaters.org. There's a link right there. It says take action. You can start that process. You you keep saying Roberto, but I can't find, I don't know where that is. So I don't, uh, is, that's, is that... that's an individual who runs our ambassador program. So you email him, Roberto, yeah. at Roberto at savetheboundarywaters.org. But certainly go on to our website, sign our petition, and take action with us. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Becky, for joining us. Thank you. All right. That's Becky Rahm. She's the national chair of Save the Boundary Waters, um, a group of a lot of businesses in that area. Uh, what did she say? I got it wrote down here. 400 businesses, sportsmen's groups, conservation groups, uh, led by the Northeastern Minnesota for Wilderness group, uh, which has been around since 1996. All right. We got to take one more break. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914. Thanks again to Becky Rahm, National Chair of the Campaign to Save the Boundary Waters. 1.1 million acres in northern Minnesota. That's just untouched. It's called the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Kind of a kind of a mouthful to say. Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Or BWCAW, which is also not <laughs> the easiest thing to say as an acronym. But it, uh, I've had roommates, uh, libertarian guy said he goes up there. I've had, uh, my old roommate used to just go up there. I don't know if I'm ever going up there because right now, if I go out my door, I get pummeled by mosquitoes. I can't even walk out my door. If I, I got to douse myself in bug spray. Otherwise, I mean, from, from going out my door to my car that's in the driveway, I'm just, I'm running and I'm, I'm wailing, flailing my arms uh, like uh, Kevin and Home Alone. I'm just running to my car, trying to get away from the mosquitoes. My old roommate said that in the, at the Boundary Waters, you gotta, I think you got to wear one of those mosquito hats, right? The mosquito nets over your head and a big old hat. And he said, if you put bug spray on, because there's so few people that go up there and it's just so like untouched by us, right? Like it's just nothing but the wilderness up there. He said that when you put bug spray on, or if you put bug spray on, the mosquitoes immediately sense it 
because it's just like, whoa, new smell. That must be humans. That must be food. And they, <laughs> and they come. F- I could be fake news, but I just remember my roommate, who's a big outdoors guy, old roommate, big outdoors guy, saying uh, that was the case. Um, a libertarian guy says, just go in the winter and go ice fishing. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a better plan. I could probably go ice fishing, but also then... Um, ice fishing, I don't know, just sitting out in the on a frozen pond. I guess it would be kind of just peaceful, wouldn't it? Uh, not if there's a big old mining, <laughs> mining company from Chile that's going to take the minerals and sell them to China. It didn't sound like a moneymaker. I don't know what, what are, there is some like what's not adding up here. If it's not a great moneymaker, but they're only paying a dollar an acre for five 5,000 acres a year, and then they're... They were paying royalties, which she said she didn't really have a figure for the royalties because then she says it's not really going to make all that much money because there's not so much nickel and copper mines there. So, like, what gives? Where's the what's the hook here? And and the jobs, there's not going to be jobs because they're going to automate it. So just nothing adds up. So why would this mining company want to want to spend millions of dollars to get all the rights to do this? Um, I just, if you want to conspiracy, like, could we just go conspiracy theory? They don't want the rights to the land. They want the rights to the water. We're almost on the verge of water wars, right? Uh, maybe, maybe that's the case. I, I'm just kidding really. But, um, this is one of those places where we do, we need to protect the water, the land. We need to like leave it untouched and keep mining companies away from it. There's no benefit to to there's not a whole lot of benefit here to the US. It's not even a benefit to uh the people that live up there either. And then when they leave, they'll just destroy it. See you later. We're going to leave all this crap here. All right, that's all I got. Thanks for listening.